Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 2 and 3. If you have a Bible, we would love for you to follow along with us. And if you don't have one, you can grab one out on, from one of the tables in the vestibule. Again, our reading begins with Genesis 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord the God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, nor shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's good to be with you as we enter into this um, really terrible story, right? That's where we're at in the chapter this, this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at these words to us. God, we need your help. God, I pray that as we come to your word, that you would allow us, um, enable us to come with open hearts. And God, I pray that we wouldn't see this just as some ancient story, written so long ago. God, I pray that we would see this as our story. That we would see in our own hearts the same thing that lives there in Adam and Eve and the shame that destroys us all. And give us hope through Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I wish I was God. Don't look at me like that. Like, you don't know the feeling, right? I wish I was God. Now, I, I, I wouldn't want, like, I don't want to run the universe. That feels like, like way too much trouble. Um, but, like, when it comes to running my life, I think I'd be a way better God than God. Right? Now, before you, like, start scooching back, afraid that we're all going to be struck by lightning, let me just say, like, we're in this together, people. Uh, if I'm going down, you're coming with me. Because even, even, like, it may sound so shocking to actually say those words, but who are we kidding? Like, look, that's the default thinking of every person in this room. You wish you were God every bit as much as I do. I mean, wouldn't you even say that that's... That's kind of our number one goal as a, as a culture, as a people right now, isn't it? Like, that's how we define the good life. I can do whatever I want, whatever I want. There's nobody to tell me what to do. Like, nobody can keep, keep me from yesterday. I mean, complete and total, absolute freedom, right? It's my time, my money, my body, my sexuality, my life. I'm going to do what I want. And the reality is, like, every person here yes, that includes you, is convinced that the best person to run your life is you. How's that working out for you? It's great, right? Well, here's what we're going to see this morning from these ancient words. 
that our attempts to be more only make us less. Our attempts to become God, to to replace him, uh, to find that absolute freedom on our own, like our attempts to be more than human actually make us less. And it only leads to shame, which only leads to misery, which only leads to more shame, which ultimately leads to death. And that may sound like an exaggeration to you. I mean, some of you are like, no, come on, really? It's not that bad, is it? Yet it's what we see in the first temptation, the first sin, and every attempt to overthrow God ever since. Because people, the the story of the first sin is the story of every sin. And it is the story of your shame and mine. So if you haven't already, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of months. Some of you are like, this is your first Sunday here, and you're like, oh man, like what's, what just happened? Like this church is a little too intense. Um, but we've, like, we've been in it for the last couple of months. We've been living together in the Garden of Eden, the perfect world that God made, and it's pretty great. I mean, every time I read Genesis 1 and 2, like I ache for home, right? And, and hopefully these last couple of months have, have created that longing for you as well. But, but last week and today, everything changes. We move out of the world that ought to be into the world that is. And there is shame and heartache everywhere. And so I'm going to do my best to retell this story. I'll try to draw out three observations along the way. And we'll see that our attempts to be more only make us less. But when we look at chapter 3, we actually have to start just one verse back in chapter 2, verse, verse 25, because, because that shows us, like, it's kind of the summary statement of the human condition prior to this moment. And it's really important what, what, God, what God says in his word for us, because it, he, he could have said anything to describe Adam and Eve, right? He could have said they were happy and fulfilled, they had everything they needed, like they loved God and God loved them and they loved each other. Like, it could have said anything, and yet what does the author choose, how does, he, like, how does he choose to describe them? And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Yes, physically, okay. And, and yet the way this imagery is used throughout Genesis 2, and particularly in Genesis 3, it's clear that it's way more than just physical nakedness that's happening here. And what the authors say, Adam and Eve, are, they're totally exposed, absolutely vulnerable. They have nothing to hide, no secrets, and they are not ashamed. Now, can you imagine that? I, mean, I, don't, I don't even know what that's like. Like, you, you and I, like, we feel shame, not just daily. Like, whether you put the words to it or not, like, shame is the, I mean, it's like the haunting soundtrack of our lives. It's just always there in the background for every one of us. Now, now, just to be clear, so, like, guilt is the feeling that I have done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that I am something wrong. That there's something wrong with me, that I'm, at my core, I'm insufficient, I'm just not enough. Do you know that feeling? Yeah, of course you do, right? Not Adam and Eve. Not yet. Can you imagine that if, They've never felt that way. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And I realize I've, I've lost you already, right? Because this is where the story just gets super weird. And let's just, let's name it as that, right? This is really strange stuff. Like, a talking snake? Like, and, and where, did, where does the serpent come from? Like, where, how did he get there, right? Lots of questions, good questions, none of which Genesis answers, right? And, and we'll talk more about this some in our, our Facebook Live video, so you can check that out a, a bit. But the reality is, like, there is just a lot of mystery here. The Bible doesn't tell us much about how evil arrived on planet Earth. But what it does tell us is that evil will not survive, right? And, and what's, what's clear in this story out of Genesis is that there is an unseen war all around us. That there, there is real evil in our world seeking to destroy God. And there is real evil in our world seeking to destroy you. Don't miss that. We'll see that more next week. And so the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And then ensues this ridiculous conversation, right? And, and here's, here's our first observation. Every temptation begins with a question. I'm convinced of this. You see it here? Every temptation, yours, mine, Eve's, and that question ultimately, ultimately is who is enough? Behind every temptation, that's, that's the question. Eve, is God enough? Eve, are you enough? I mean, come on, what is up with God, right? Did he, did he really say you can't eat of any of these trees? I mean, what, what is his problem? Stingy old man, right? And right, and right there, she begins to, to doubt God's word. Is God's word enough? And the serpent, I mean, this is, what tempta- this is just classic temptation, right? It's, the serpent focuses her attention immediately on the one thing they're not allowed to have. I mean, imagine them. They're like, it's like they're standing before this incredible buffet. They can't even see the end of the options. So much goodness. There's one thing they're not supposed to have. And like that, it's the only thing that they can see. I mean, that's, that's temptation, isn't it? And very quickly, you begin to think, yeah, maybe God is stingy. And she doubts his goodness. Is God really good? Is he really for me? And then the servant says, God's a liar, lady. You're not going to die. He, he just knows that if you eat it, you're going to be like him. Wouldn't that be nice? He's trying to keep that from you. It'll it'll open your eyes and you will know good and evil. Eve, God is not good. He is not enough for you. And and then then the the snake slightly twists his approach. First, he's, he's counting doubt on God. But then he starts to count, cast doubt on Eve herself, doesn't he? And you know what, Eve? Actually, not only is God not enough, you're not enough either. God made you with something missing. 
but I can give you that missing piece. You see, God is the one who defines good and evil. And, and right now in the garden, all they know is good. I mean, church, think about that. All you and I were ever meant to know is good. But Eve, that's not enough. And you, and you guys think you're close to God? Made in his image. He doesn't even want you to be like him. God made a mistake when he made you and he's holding you back. Listen, five minutes ago, they were naked and unashamed. But shame has just crept into the garden. And it is about to destroy everything. And listen, church, like I am convinced shame is Satan's number one tool. It's his favorite method of destruction. Because from this, this moment on in this garden, every one of us is constantly plagued by that same question. Who's enough? Is God going to be enough? Am I enough? Did he make me right? And these, these questions are the source of every sin. Behind every temptation, behind everything you do wrong is this question. Is God enough? Am I enough? I mean, Satan constantly pokes at our sense of inadequacy. It's so subtle. You don't have enough money. You're not successful enough. You're not a good enough parent. No one could possibly love you. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough on the team. You're not, you're not attractive enough. You, you could be happy if, if God really loved you, he'd, Eve, you're nothing. God doesn't know what's good for you. He did a bad job making you. He's holding you back, and you need to go out and get it for yourself. And this is the story of every temptation. Every sin. And just, just like us, right, Eve says, you know what, you're right. I need to decide what's good for me. To be my own God, to run my own life. And if God's not going to do it for me, I need to make myself enough. You do you, Eve. And you see, Reed, Reed talked about this last week, right? Uh, I mean, the story sounds ridiculous. Like, come on, they raid God's secret snack shack and all of a sudden everything falls apart. I mean, that's kind of the category we put it in. Just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But it only makes sense when you know what's going on behind the scenes. It's not about, it's not about some tree or some fruit, right? That's not, that's not really what's going on here. Like this sin and every sin, it is a rejection of God and a rejection of our own humanity and a reckless declaration, I can make myself on my own. I can do it better. Kurt Thompson, in his book, The Soul of Shame, it's one of my, it's one of my recent favorites. Uh, it's really rocked my world. He's a, a psychiatrist. He's an expert in neuroscientists. He also has a deep understanding of the biblical story and loves Jesus. He's actually going to come to Christ's community next year at this time uh, to teach us. But I love, I love what he writes in this, in this book. He says, shame is the primary tool that evil leverages, out of which emerges everything that we would call sin. Its power lies in its subtlety and its silence, and it will not be satisfied until all hell breaks loose. Literally. 
Friend, the reason you don't feel like you're enough is because you were never meant to be enough. I mean, not, not on your own, apart from God. And, and because we keep trying to take his place, trying to make ourselves more on our own, I mean, literally all hell is breaking loose. And so is she going to trust God or is she going to trust the snake? I could ask us the same question. Everybody trusts something in these moments. What are you trusting? And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And do you see it even there? Like all of a sudden she decides now what's good and evil, doesn't she? Oh, that tree is good. It is good for food. Who knew, right? And, and it's good to look at. It makes me wise. Like all of a sudden now, she, I mean, she's already in, in charge, right? She's taking God's place. And, and like, like every sin, this is us giving God the finger. And you can almost hear the world shatter all around them. Just like that. And then she eats. <laughs> she gives some to her idiot husband. I mean, what is, what is he doing in all this, right? I mean, he's just like, is he there just eavesdropping on this conversation between his wife and a snake? I mean, and then why does, he, why does he take it? He eats, and he's every bit as guilty as she is. And their lives and ours forever are instantly soaked with shame. You see it in verse 7, right? And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Again, not just literally. Like suddenly there is a, there is a darkness in them that's never been there before. An ugliness. And they see each other for who they've actually just become. Knowledge of good and evil. And they join the side of evil. And they know it. I mean, that, that moment when you've done something truly awful, you know, words leave your mouth that it's like you just wish you could grab them and pull them back in, but they've already destroyed. Or the, or the decision that you made that just completely annihilated a relationship like that. And when you feel that exposed, you just want so badly to hide. Do you know that feeling? This is the first moment anyone has ever felt that. And, and like the, the fools we've become, they, they scrounge around to get enough leaves, right? To try to, to make a costume out of, right? To hide their shame. Well, this should take care of it. I mean, it's laughable, but like, it's us trying to fix the problem, isn't it? Like, even in that moment, they can't, they can't, 
You can't just admit they've done something wrong. They've got to cover it. And then they hear God coming. Walking in the garden to spend time with them. And so they hide. I mean, how that must have broken God's heart. He made them so that he could shower them with his love. And now they're hiding. And so he calls out to them. He knows where they are. But he's giving them every chance. Where are you? Where have you gone? Like a tender father, come back. And Adam said, "Uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Fear and shame. I mean, how often they go together, right? And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And again, God God knows what they've done, right? But with every question is another chance. I mean, this is how desperate God is in, in pursuing us in relationship. Like, he knows the answer. And even when it's ugly, like... Just, just tell me. Like, just say it to my face. Like, would you at least do that? I mean, he's after the relationship. He's pursuing them even there. And imagine if we'd run to our father in that moment. I'm sorry. It was a mistake. I don't want to know evil anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. You are enough. Imagine if we had. But is that what you do when you're caught in your sin? You say, no. No. I do exactly what my first parents did. I hide. And I blame. And I scramble to get myself out from underneath the rock of my own shame that I've created. That's what we do. Self-justification, self-medication, distraction, anything but actually deal with the ugliness that we have, right? And so the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. It's her fault. And actually, you know what, God, now that we're on the subject, it's kind of your fault because you made her. You gave her to me. Well, that, that's, that's going to help, right? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what, what is this you have done? Yet another question. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not, it's not my fault. I was, I was tricked. And besides, what's that snake doing in the garden anyway? In church, this, this is the spiral of shame. It's what it does. And here, here's the second observation for us this morning. Our attempts to be more literally ruin everything. And I I wish that was an exaggeration. Our relationship with God, ruined. Our, Our relationship with each other, ruined. Our relationship with ourselves, ruined. And the world itself falls apart in this moment and everything ugly enters in. It's the spiral of shame. 
In verse 16 on, we're not going to unpack all of it, but God is like, you know, remember the first commands I gave you, the be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it? Well, you've really made a mess of that because now it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. Childbearing, parenting, the intimacy between male and female, it's going to be really tough. And as you work the ground for food, now just trying to get enough food to eat, there's going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be blisters and backaches. I mean, the things that you are supposed to take delight in that I made you to enjoy. It's weariness now. Until you return to the dust from which I made you. Death and every terrible thing. This is what sin is. Telling God that I know better. Every act of greed, every moment of lust, every hurtful word, every selfish deed, Satan says, you're not enough and you need this. And I say, yeah, you know what, maybe you're right. Maybe I do need that. And who is God? I can, I can do my own God. I can make my own decisions, right? And we push him aside. And how's that working out for us? only makes us less. This spiral of shame. And, and the idea of shame has become such a kind of a hot topic in our, in our world right now, right? The popularity of Brene Brown and others. She's great. Um, enjoy, enjoy some of her, th- some of her thinking. Um, but our culture really just offers two ways for us to deal with our shame, right? Because shame is a big deal, right? In fact, many would say that we are becoming more and more of a shame culture. It's a big deal in our culture right now. But there's really only two ways that our culture says, here's, here's what you do with that shame. The first, the first is what we have to do is we just have to get rid of all the rules, right? All those old-fashioned things. Like, stop telling people what to do. Don't listen to them anymore. And once you do that, once, uh, once everything is up for grabs and the shame, it'll be gone. Of course, this is exactly what Adam and Eve tried, and it didn't work out great for them. And, and we know that, right? I mean, even just look for an example at the, the sexual revolution, right? We said, okay, let's take out all the rules when it comes to sex. And look around. Have we got to figure it figured out yet? Like, there, there's more shame and brokenness, more abuse and heartache and confusion in our culture around this subject than ever before. I mean, when we throw God out of the picture, we put ourselves in his place. It destroys everything. It doesn't work. So that's the first option our culture gives us. We'll just get rid of all the rules. Well, we tried that. It's terrible, actually. Second option is, well, you just have to accept yourself. You just, you just got to be okay with you, Right? Have you tried accepting yourself? It's great, isn't it? Because as soon as I, I try that, right, then I, then I go home and I yell at my kids, right? Or I do something hurtful to the people that I love the most. Or I, I say something unkind in a meeting. Like, I make self-destructive choices. I mean, there are things, desires that I have that if I were to carry them out, it would ruin my life. It would absolutely ruin my family. Accept myself? I mean, that, that actually somehow makes me feel worse, right? Because I, I know that I can't do it. So go back to our story. Because it could have ended here, right? God would have been just in this moment to take his ball and go home. We declared war on him and he could have finished us. And you may, you may have noticed we're only on like page three. What is the rest of this book about, right? Every page is about God's plan to win us back. 
For our God has never stopped calling out to us, where are you? Where have you gone? It's about his plan to put an end to all of our rebellion and shame. And we see glimpses of that even here on page three, right? Even, even right here. We talked about that last week, right? And how, how even as we receive our eviction notice, God promises that the snake will not win. It's there, right? That one day a child of Eve will do battle with him and win. I love the painting that Reed showed last week, right? I love that because you, you see the shame in Eve's eyes, I mean, how many times I've given that look, how many times I've seen it on your face, and yet you see the hope in Mary's, and the serpent that would be crushed by her son. I mean, there are, there are real consequences for our sin, and we feel them daily. The haunting soundtrack of our lives is shame. Yet don't miss this. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God covers us. God kills a couple of animals and works on his sewing skills, I guess, and sews garments for us. Literally, yes, but praise God, not just literally. I mean, I, I get that. Like, sure, I don't, I don't want any of you to see my naked body. That would be super awkward, right? Um, but the reality is, like, I would get over that. You might not. Uh, but, like, I would, I would be able to get over that, right? But what I really don't want you to see is in here. That's where the ugliness is. Because I'm guilty of every single thing as, as my first parents, the rebellion, the hiding, the blaming, the scrambling the attempts to, to overthrow God. Like, if you, if you saw in here, people, this, I'm not, like, if you, there's no way you'd let me be one of your pastors. The wickedness is too deep. It's too ugly. And yet, God says, Nathan, let me cover you. So let him cover you. And that's, that's the last thing. If you want to be more, let God cover you with more. If you want to be more, and of course you do, right? Everybody does. We were never meant to be enough on our own. Like we all feel that lack, that something's missing, that we have to fill it with all these kinds of things, right? We go after it. But please, don't. Don't try to, try to go take it out on your own, right? Don't go to grab it for yourself. It's only going to make you less. Listen, this is freedom. You don't have to be God anymore. You don't have to go out and try to grab it for yourself. You don't have to compensate for your shame or listen to the voice inside you that constantly says you are not enough. Let God be enough for you. And by the power of his spirit, you can obey him for he is good. But Jesus is our ultimate covering. And he became your sin and he endured your shame. I mean, on the, on the cross, like, he became your addiction. He became your temper. He became your lust and adultery, your murder. He became your selfishness and your pride. He, he became your shame. The one who had nothing to be ashamed of. 
was abandoned, betrayed, mocked, beaten, and finally crucified. Jesus was stripped naked so that he could clothe you with everything good. And still he cries out, where are you? Where have you gone? Let me cover you. Will you let him? Let's pray. Father, this is a work that only you can do. And I'm so grateful that you offer to do it for us. That you long to bring forgiveness and grace into the most ugly places of our hearts, the deepest areas of brokenness. That you cover us and then by a the power of your spirit, you enable us to live a better life. A life of obedience to you. Help us to find our freedom there and our joy in Christ's name.